Hello, hello, and welcome to Growing with Kendall. My name is Kendall Motes, and I'm so excited you chose to listen to this podcast. Two weeks ago, I went with Jack McCarty, who informed me on his SAE project and how we revamped the courtyard at our school. This week, I'm meeting with Mike Devani, who is the manager of Solid Waste and Recycling. As many of you know, I like to live as sustainable as possible, and plastic usage is very near and dear to my heart. I'm currently on the phone with Mike right now and going to be asking him questions that I have about recycling, his job, and just what he does on a daily basis. So, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Um, I'm going to start off with some basic questions, but how long have you worked in the position that you are in at Lancaster? And give us a quick rundown of what you do. Okay. Well, uh, I've been in this position for approximately two years, but back in 2006, I actually held this position for two years as well. Um, but I've been in the waste industry for a little over 20 years. And essentially what I do as the manager of solid waste and recycling for the city is I oversee three particular areas. One is the collection contract. That's the contract that haulers that do the curbside solid waste recycling collection. I also oversee a recycling drop-off center that's located out on 850 New Holland Avenue, uh, where we actually recycle more than the big four. We can talk about the big four a little bit later. And there's another aspect of uh, our program, which is called SWEEP, which is an acronym for Solid Waste Education and Enforcement Program. And that's a requirement by the state under Act 140 that we have an enforcement and education branch of solid waste to go out and assist folks with proper recycling and also with property maintenance. So essentially that's what we do is we make sure that the solid waste and recycling is collected on a weekly basis and that properties are highly maintained in the city to make it a good neighborhood for everybody to live in. Perfect. So then once all these plastic and waste comes to you, what happens to it? Where does it go? And that also ties into, you said, the big four, which I also have learned a lot about over the past couple months, like number one, two, three, four, five, six plastics. And I know some are more easier to recycle and some are not. So what do you do when it gets to that point? Okay. Well, in Lancaster County, the Lancaster County Solid Waste Management Authority is our overseeing branch. They, they have uh, the incinerator, the transfer station that feeds that, and then also a landfill out of Fry Farm. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, China decided that they were going to start to crack down on the materials that they imported because prior to 2006, 2007, a lot of the materials that were collected in the United States were exported. Well, the quality of that material continued to deteriorate. We got a lot of contamination at the curbside, food waste, Uh, high moisture contents, things that they didn't necessarily want as an import. So China put up what they called the green fence that had certain requirements for the United States and other recycling markets to clean up their material. Well, the industry always said that, hey, you know, with with technology advancement, artificial intelligence, our material will start to get cleaner. Well, it didn't. And eventually it got to the point where China said, that's it. We don't want it anymore. It was called Operation Clean Sword. And it took a, a several months for that ripple effect to come back to the United States. And once it did, a lot of your domestic markets started to become overwhelmed with material, plastics, high-density polyethylenes, polyethylenes, and the market itself started to really fall apart. Lancaster County took an approach to that that said, we're going to do only the big four at the curbside. We're going to concentrate on plastic bottles, number ones and number twos. Those are your high-density polyethylenes and your polyethylenes. Anything that has a smaller opening at the top than it does at the bottom. So picture a soda bottle, a water bottle, uh, a type jug, those types of things. And then they also said we're going to focus on aluminum cans and steel cans and glass bottles and jars because glass can be recycled forever. 
And then you also have the corrugated cardboard at the curbside. So those are the big four materials that are collected at the curbside because those are your four most populous materials that have a good end game in the market. The other materials, such as chipboard, which would be like your cereal boxes, tissue boxes, toilet tissue rolls, magazines, catalogs, office paper, junk mail, uh, phone books, and newsprint. Those materials were, at that point, they weren't put back into the recycle stream. But our facility, located at 850 New Holland Avenue, accepts those materials. And we actually have a contract with the United States Recycling out of Philadelphia to bail that material and ship it directly to market. So uh, we, we also work with a company down there called Newman Paper. They're the, subsidi- they're the owners of the United States Recycling. So, so our materials are taken directly to market from here. The stuff that's collected at the curbside in the Signalizer store is taken to Penn Waste. Uh, which is over in uh, York, and they process uh, the materials. They have a very large state-of-the-art MRF or materials recovery facility where the, the remaining material is processed, bailed, and shipped to market. Okay, so then you were talking about the incinerator. So the five like through eight plastics, so those all go in the incinerator then? Uh, yes. Okay, and then what about the like stuff that is trash like not like recycling like recycling aside the stuff that's trash what all happens to that incinerator as well or the landfill uh that goes to the incinerator so uh i don't want to speak on behalf of the solid waste authority but i work very closely with them yeah they have a lot of really great information on their websites and they can tell you that one in five homes in lancaster is powered by trash all that municipal solid waste as you will the stuff that we put at the curbside that's collected, taken to the transfer station. It's transferred in uh, transfer trailers up to 441 in, up in Bainbridge. And there that facility takes the waste, incinerates it, harvests the, the heat from it, boils water, makes electricity through a, a generation system. Oh, wow. That's really cool. I did not even know that. How have you're, – you're telling me all these things that I didn't even know about, and this is super cool for me to learn more about just from, like, reading, like, Facebook articles or just articles off, like, CNN Climate or something like that. But – you said that you've been working in like your position for a while. Well, you took like a little break from it, but how have you seen that change over the years? Well, I can, I can go back to the beginning of my career in solid waste. I worked for a very large, uh, uh waste man, a waste company called waste management incorporated. Um, very, very big there in almost every state in the United States. And back when I first started, the recycling market was completely different. Everything was what we called curbside sort or source segregated. So you kept what we called co-mingle, completely separate from paper. All the paper stayed dry and all you collected at the curbside was newsprint because back then everybody still, a lot of people still received their, their newspaper yeah. on a daily basis. And in some cases twice a day, they got a morning and an evening newspaper. Well, obviously through the internet, uh, a lot of things have changed. People don't, they go to their iPad to read the newspaper. I know I do now. I don't generate that extra material. And eventually, Back in 2006, 2007, uh, there was a technology that came over. It was a European technology, and it was called single-stream recycling. And that meant everything could go in one container, and you could mix all that material, and there was end markets for it back then. Um, And that really drove the recycling market up because recycling was always based off of diversion, meaning diversion from a disposal facility that you don't have to pay a tipping fee. Um, Because recycling, there's a lot of misconception that it's free. We actually pay $60 a ton for the curbside material we collect to be processed. Oh, wow. So that it can be bailed and shipped out. And there's a very minimal 
uh, profit margin in the recycling market. That's why a lot of municipalities have abandoned it uh, across the United States. They've gotten rid of their programs um, simply because of the fact that they're not sustainable. And that's what recycling has always been. It has to be a sustainable process, mm-hmm. meaning that you're making enough money to cover your operating expense from collection to processing to uh, to market end. And, and that's a very difficult thing in the recycling market, especially after everything crashed back in 2018. Yeah. But the industry itself has just, it, it's grown to the point where waste is, is viewed in, in a lot of places as a commodity because of the waste to energy process, because there's a lot of other places out there that are looking at how can we turn waste into electricity so that it is more or less a, almost a renewable resource. But again, waste is one of the, in the United States, we've collected waste the same way for years. We haven't changed the process. We use the same style trucks we used back in the 1950s and 1960s and 70s. It's just, it's just the technology has gotten a little bit better. You get a better compaction ratio. Uh, you can be more efficient on the routes. But we haven't really taken a look at that waste and said, what else could we do with this? Because if you go over to Europe and, and start to explore what some of these other countries have done, they're more into biodigestion and composting and actual beneficial reuse of the material uh, to generate biogas and usable compost versus landfills. For example, Germany. Germany's been landfill-free since 2005. Yeah. And they're very big on recycling. And it's it's recycling is a mentality and it, it's a way of life. You have to commit to it. You have to commit to the fact that you're going to pull your food waste out of the out of the trash stream to compost. You're going to make sure that all the materials that you you purchase can be recycled and it, it gets into what they call that pre-cycle. So going to the grocery store, looking at, looking at different things saying, okay, that has a packaging that I know can't be reused, but this is a loose packaging that I could use in my own, my own personal container uh, versus buying a plastic container. That's not going to be be able to recycle. So it's a mentality and it's changed. And there's a lot of very good uh, movements now that folks have started to say, okay, we, we need to really examine why we're such a wasteful society because it just, for example, if you go back to when I was a kid many, many years ago and the television broke, well, mm-hmm. you called the TV repair person. They came over they took it back off the television. They put a new tube in it. Voila, your TV worked again. Now, if the TV breaks or something was wrong with it, people put it out of the curbside. You know, they, they, they throw them away. Everything's yeah. disposable. We, we've gotten to that point in society where the refrigerator goes, hey, throw it away, we'll get a new one, versus have it repaired. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that, that's one of the issues that we do face is we're a disposable society in a lot of respects. Yeah. And back to what you were saying about having it be a lifestyle to recycle or to compost. I know for us, we've been composting for probably close to a year, maybe over a year now. And I know that it's like, it's kind of a gross thing when you think about it because we have a little container in our kitchen and like has a lid on it and you open it up quick and you throw the food in there and then you close it quick and then you take it outside and we put it in our our wheel thing that we have. I forget what it's called, but that's just something that you have that like kind of grows on you, I guess. And that's what makes that a lifestyle. And same with recycling. Like I know rinsing out like tomato sauce, like jars or something, or like candle, like the things that your candles come in, I guess that would be called a jar as well, but like rinsing that out and making sure nothing is in there so it can go in the recycling bin and come to you. And then that just leaves less work for you. But then let's say I wouldn't rinse out like my tomato sauce jar, like my candle, and there's still extra wax in there. What happens when that happens? Uh, a little bit of food residue, a little bit of, well, you know, a little bit of residue like that's not going to have a large effect on the material itself because this material is collected 
Again, it's bailed for the most part. Glass is collected completely differently. That's transferred by open top containers. Uh, but when that goes to a cullet plant or, or goes for processing, that's going to go through an extensive cleaning process. It's going to remove all the excess um, wrappers, labels, things like that. And, of course, if there's any residue on it, it's going to get washed off. Okay, gotcha. So like your cat food cans and things like that. It's okay. Give them a good rinse. Try to get everything out you can. But at the same time, be conscientious of the amount of water that you're using to rinse those materials. Yep. Because water is also one of our renewable resources we have to be careful with. Uh-huh. And not to waste that and use that up as much as – or not use – not use that up. <laughs> um, what does your job look like on a daily basis? You've kind of told me everything you've done and given me that run through, but for somebody that would be looking to be in your position, what does that consist of in a day? Well, it's the, the thing about the waste industry is every single day is completely different because you never know what you're going to face. There's always, um, there's labor shortages, there's truck opportunities that when they break down, you have to readjust routes. Um, you, you have to always make sure you have enough staff to cover uh, the recycling floor to keep the materials moving through there. Uh, a lot of a lot of my job is planning, coming in and looking at okay, where are we at for the day? Where do we need to be for the week? And I'm always looking three to five years ahead and thinking how are we as a as a city, as a population, how are we going to reduce our overall volume of solid waste, increase our recycling. And actually go towards that area uh, of zero waste. Uh, that that's ultimately my goal is to get to the point where this program is completely sustainable within itself. Yeah. But it actually starts to turn a little bit of a profit, well, not profit in government, but a little bit of extra revenue that we can use to help finance other areas within the city. Mm -hmm. So that's ultimately my goal is to figure out a way that you can have a beneficial use for our curbside materials. Because if you go back to the back to the fifties and you know the forties and the fifties. Food waste was collected at the curbside in the city regularly by farmers, and then they used it for their, you know, for their cattle or for their pigs. You know, mm -hmm. now we just throw everything in the waste stream. So we have to figure out a way to go back in time, keep that material separated out, and then have it have a beneficial use in the long run. Yeah, and I think right now, like, I mean, I even do it sometimes too. Like, we just look like to the easiest and the most quickest way to do things, and it's just like, well, if I can just throw it away, then I'm just going to throw it away. But you don't think about how that's going to affect things in the long run. What is the best part about your job? You've been doing this for a long time. What have you enjoyed the most? The best part of my job is taking care of the customers, the people, the residents, and giving people a quality of life. Because if you back in when this program started in 2006 in the city of Lancaster, there was approximately 30% of the households that had no solid waste and recycling collection at all. So you had an enormous amount of public dumping. People would dump in, uh, their trash in alleyways. Uh, mm -hmm. theft of services where people would put their trash in somebody else's dumpster and uh, or you had people that would stockpile the waste in their backyard yeah. and you know waste in a backyard is going to build up and eventually you're going to get our little friends the little vermin that like to come in there pull the bags apart looking for food themselves yeah uh, and then you'll get infestation so my favorite part of this job is always making sure that the people are satisfied with the collection and that they have a better quality of life that's so good to hear that like we have people working in this industry that have um what's the word have goals for the future and want it to be better do you, would you say that you interact with customers on like a daily basis or talk to customers a lot uh, all the time every day um <laughs> for example yesterday i was on a particular street that we're working with they've had a lot of litter issues they've had a lot of vermin issues so we're actually doing a pilot program with them with a different type of container that would help to uh, eliminate the litter, keep uh, keep the vermin out, 
and just talking with the people, their, their quality of life is going up. They see a difference on the street, oh, wow. and that makes them extremely happy, and that makes me very happy yeah. when you know you made a difference. And seeing that you're homes, but go ahead. Sorry, and seeing that your plan that you implemented is working. Yes. What would you say is the most challenging part of your job then? Uh, Just overall compliance um, as as it relates to the city's ordinances and and folks. Just we have a lot of uh, folks that um, that don't keep up with their properties. And uh, you don't want to be the person that lives next door to that. That's what I, I always say when I talk to some of these folks that, you know, they let trash and litter accumulate in front of their properties or they leave their garbage cans out front all the time or they just throw their bags of trash in the backyard and it attracts the vermin. You don't want to live next door to that. No one deserves to live next door to that. So yeah. if everybody does their part, you don't have that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some, like, personal questions to end this off with just that I have that I've accumulated kind of over the past couple months but I've read an article about recycling saving energy and I just like I don't know I can't like wrap my head around that how does recycling save energy recycling saves energies by by reducing the amount of natural resources that are required to to make those new materials so if you can reuse a material break it down break down the plastic you're saving hydrocarbons um, you know plastic obviously has a petroleum base in it so the more times that we recycle that material, the less dependent we are on, you know, dig, digging for more oil or drilling for more oil um, in those types of situations. So you're saving those natural resources. You're saving the energies that go into that, which ultimately helps reduce your carbon footprint uh, by not generating that greenhouse gas. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up for me. And then my last question would be, why is it important to only put things that can be cycled in the recycling bin? I feel like people say this all the time. They're like, well, if it goes in, it's going to get sorted out anyway. But I don't think that's the case. And can you explain why that's not the case? We we have a lot of what we call wishful recyclers that uh, they think anything that's plastic can be broken back down. Yeah. Well, recycling is all about temperature melting point so when you look at a container like a soda bottle that had a melting point that could be broken back down but if i look at a plastic toy that doesn't necessarily that's not something that we can break down very easily and we we do have a lot of misconception folks again if if it's plastic or glass you know whether it's a plate or window glass oh just throw it in the recycle bin we'll get it cleaned out well about 30 percent of the material that we collect on an annual basis ends up um, being trash. It's what we call residue. And so if you imagine 30% of the materials that are collected at the curbside, one, we paid $60 a ton to process it. Then we have to turn around and pay another $81 a ton yep. to dispose of it. So now we've, we've double charged ourselves, where if we just put it in the recycling bin in the, or in the trash can in the first place, we have only paid $81 versus the $141. Yeah. And oh, I think sorry, this yeah, is all. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting you. But I think this is all just, a, it's a new thing kind of for everybody. And like, there's, there are people that could kind of like care less. I'm not trying to like be rude or like call people out for that, but there's people that just don't really educate themselves. And then there are people that do educate themselves and want to make the world a better place. No matter how cheesy that sounds, but that is what it kind of comes down to then. Well, absolutely, and keep talking. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. No, you're good. Keep going. <laughs> no, I mean it's, it's, that's absolutely right. And you know, Pennsylvania, our recycling laws don't require everybody in the state to recycle. Only those that are covered under what we call Act 101, 
that have a certain density of population of over 10,000 or a certain density of number of people within so many square miles are re- required to recycle. Yeah. And, you know, recycling is all about making it as easy as possible for folks to comply. And, uh, you know, if, if they only have to walk a little bit to throw the, throw the material into the recycle bin, you're going to get a better compliance than if they have to gather the material up and take it somewhere else. Uh-huh. And that's just kind of what it comes down to, as I was saying, like a couple of minutes ago, just about not like laziness, but just like the easy way out in this. Right. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate being educated more on this just because I care a lot about the society and just like climate change and everything like that. And I just want to make the world a better place. So I really appreciate you talking to me. Thank you all for listening to my podcast today. I hope you learned more about recycling because I know that I for sure did. I will talk to you all in two weeks. Thank you for listening.